0: If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 5. We're walking through uh, three chapters here um, in this really incredible book. The whole book really is filled with kind of dense um, stuff. These particular chapters are are dense regarding uh, what the gospel is. And uh, I'll take this your kind of... Uh, uh, getting in and getting settled, and opening your Bible and t- pulling out your notes, whatever. I want to take just a second and let you know that if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Please feel free to go grab one of those. If you need to grab one, uh, you can borrow it if you need to borrow it, or take it with you if you need to take it with you. That's not a problem. Uh, if you have one of those Bibles in particular, we're on page nine hundred and forty-two. Nine hundred and forty-two. Uh, I'm going to offer a prayer for us um, as we get started. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then we'll uh, then we'll jump in. Uh, Father, we're here this morning. Um, Hands are open. Uh, Would you open up our hearts as well? Um, uh, Please give us what we need in these moments. Um, We confess that uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So feed your people this morning from your word. And uh, Father, I pray that as you do so, that we would be different people um, that leave here than when we came in. We don't want to have a religious meeting. We want to be changed. So would you make that so? And do it for Jesus' sake, with clarity and power uh, that is... um, um, concurrent with your kingdom. And uh, God, l- let it be. Let it be. Uh, we're asking all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be. We'll take the first five verses this morning as we get started. Uh, you ever notice things, good things in particular come in threes? Anybody? They come in threes? Uh, just any, anybody can come up with something that is a good thing that has come in threes? Anybody? Can you come up with one? I'll start. Uh, the original Star Wars trilogy. Good thing. And it came in 3s. Thank you very much. Somebody want to jump in on this deal? The Lord of the Rings trilogy also comes in 3s. Non a non-film one anybody? Your grandkids, isn't that sweet? family points right there. That's good. Somebody in the 830 service said, yeah, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They got Jesus points. That's good. Yep. Uh, uh, I'll give you another one. You ready? Larry, Mo, Curly. You know what I mean? I mean, good things, good things coming through. Today, we're going to take on, if you've got the front of your bulletin, we're going to take on these three things, peace, grace, and hope. I'm going to say this now and I'm going to say it again here um, at the end of the sermon. Does anybody know of anybody in your life, including yourself, that could use some peace, some grace, and some hope? You got anybody in your world like that? Listen, our world is desperate for those three things, three powerful things, three important things, three um, weighty things that when they set down on us, there's some, there's some reverberations that happen. And so uh, when I, I've been praying for us today, um, this morning, um, certainly we'll continue to pray as the, as the week goes on, that as God sets these things down on us. Uh, that there would be some reverberations, because these are three great things. So uh, as we've been walking through the book of Romans here, as I said, we've been in these three chapters, three, four, and 5 got a couple more weeks to go to wrap up chapter five, but as we've been walking through this, um, the, the main thing that we've been focusing on, we call it the heart of the gospel, and if I could boil it down to a sentence, it sounds something like this. Through Jesus, God has done for us what we could have never done for ourselves. When we talk about the heart of the gospel, what we're saying is God has done something for us that we could have never done for ourselves. We couldn't have earned it. Uh, we couldn't have merited it. We couldn't have uh, uh, inherited it in some other way. Instead, Jesus came in our place, has done something for us that we never could have done for ourselves. That's the heart of the gospel. And every bit of this, he starts the chapter, uh, verse 5, ver- excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore. So every bit of what we're going to talk about today hinges on all the other stuff that we've talked about before. Chapter 3, we're in bad shape before God. Everybody is, is um, at a disadvantage before God because we're all sinners. Um, chapter 3, God has sent His Son to save us from our sin chapter 4. Abraham is a great example for us to follow because he's justified by faith and by faith alone, not by any other way, not by any other circumstance, not by any other place, not by any other rite or ritual, uh, not by any other obedience. He is saved by faith alone. So every bit of what we're going to talk about hinges upon that therefore. If we indeed have been justified by faith, then we can talk then about peace and grace and hope in a way that actually makes sense. Um, I love what Paul's doing here. This clearly then puts salvation Uh, in a much broader context. Some people say, see, salvation is just a legal declaration. You you were not right, now you're right. And Paul is saying, oh, that's where it begins. But salvation is way more than that. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. So let's start verse one, chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is just again, one more time, justified, made right with a righteous God. That's what we're talking about. Therefore, since we have been made right with a righteous God, how? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk for just a moment about what this peace is. He says, since we've been made right with God, we have peace with God. Okay. And so when you think about peace, um, the biblical term for that, picking up the old Testament, kind of dragging it into the new Testament, uh, the biblical term for that is the word Shalom. Anybody Shalom You heard this before? Um, Uh, It's one of those uh, words that has a fairly broad linguistic spectrum, but um, basically what it means is there's this sense of rightness. Paul is picking that up, and he's bringing it forward. Now, when we talk about shalom, we need to know that there's a couple of things that are true about that. One of those is there is a lack of conflict Most of us, when we think about peace, that's what we're thinking about, a lack of conflict. Now, let's say, just pause for just a moment and say, yes and amen to that, that I now have no conflict with God and he has no conflict with me. Why am I saying yes and amen to that? Who's going to lose in that particular fight? This guy. I'm the one who's in bad shape. When it comes to a lack of conflict, what we're talking about is the enmity, the hostility that is between the two parties, between me and God, between you of God. That has been set aside. Why has it been set aside? We have peace with God how? What's it say? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has come, and he is the one who has paid our debt. He is the one who has come. He is the one who has... Um, Uh, uh, made sure that the things that were um, on the negative side of the scale are taken care of and paid for. Yes and amen to that. We have a lack of conflict when it comes to God. Now, the biblical version uh, of peace, though, doesn't merely say a lack of conflict. There's a positive side to it. Also, this rightness of relationship. We have a right relationship with God. I did this a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago I think. Um, uh, Just do this one more time. Anybody ever been in a fight with somebody that you care about significantly? A spouse or a kid or something like that? And even though the fight is done and the the air has been cleared, so to speak, you still walk around relationally like this where you're all tensed up? Every time you're around the person, you're like, Are you standing like that? Well, cuz we had a fight. The fight's over. I know. I know. It's still awkward? It's still weird? Right? <clears throat> Jesus has not only removed the hostility that was between me and God, but removed the hostility, the enmity that was between you and God. He not only has paid for our debt, but he has purchased favor for us so that we are in right relationship with God. That is what shalom means. Not merely um, a lack of conflict, but yes and amen to that, but also a right relationship with God. There's no longer this kind of awkward thing about us. There is a goodness, a rightness that has been restored, given to us by God because he not only paid our debt, but he also purchased favor with us. There's no residual awkwardness. We don't have to walk around tense before God because he has given us peace. He has brought to us in Jesus shalom. Therefore, since we've been made right with God by faith, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He, He doesn't stop there though. Think about this. Verse 2, through him we also have obtained access by faith, so faith's pretty important here obviously, through him we also have obtained access, access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So not only do we have shalom, we have peace with God, but we also have access into grace. We have access into grace, and how is that happening? It happens by faith, right? So we put our trust in Jesus. He um, justifies us before God, gives us peace with God. Amen and amen to that. And, and he gives us access to grace. And some people think, I, I mean, this sounds like reasonably good news. What, what's grace, though? Gr- and this is how I define it, and I want to encourage you to think about grace this way. And I think there's a l- lot of New Testament evidence for this, that, that grace is help from God. The question comes up, what kind of help? And the answer is, what kind of help you need? Some people equate grace to forgiveness. And listen, forgiveness is a good thing. Because if we're in sin... We need help with that sin and forgiveness, right? So grace can be forgiveness, but the, the, the range, as the New Testament teaches it, the range is much, much broader than that. It's much, much more developed than that because not only do I have access to grace when I sin, and, and it looks like and it expresses itself as forgiveness, that help that comes from God is forgiveness, but also um, there are times when I need um, uh, grace to, to parent these Blessings that God has given me. And you. and so when you, when you need grace to parent, guess what God has? He has parenting grace. And when you're driving on the freeway and some guy pulls up beside you because he's more important than you and he's going to get between you and the little wall like happened to me this week and he's going to make sure that he gets in front. And blah, blah, blah. You need grace to be patient. And the good news is God has patient kind of grace. And when you turn and you need um, a particular kind of help at work to work on this situation or to come up with this solution or to deal with this particular co worker or get through this particular meeting, you know what? There's grace for that. And when you walk over here and you go home and this thing is happening and you're trying to figure out how to make this particular thing right, good news, there's grace for that. And so, and when you uh, get crossways with the important people in your life, spouse or whomever, there's this sense in which God has given us grace. For that, there's a kind of reconciling grace that brings people back together. I want to paint this picture for just a second. Uh, Patriots won the Super Bowl, yes, yes. Okay. Yay. Patriots won the Super Bowl. At the end of the Super Bowl, uh, you know, I mean, this is what happened. Just confetti, I don't know where all it came from but confetti was everywhere, Did you, and all of a sudden, you, when they showed one of the camera shots, you know, there was, there was so much confetti in the air, you really couldn't see what was going on on the field, you know, one of the big high angle things, and then you saw as people were getting interviewed, you know, they're sitting there talking to somebody, and all of a sudden, down comes confetti, confetti in people's hair, Tom Brady's jersey got buried under confetti, or something like that, Sure, what happened there? I mean, like, oh, I mean, there's confetti, confetti, confetti. Everywhere you look, there was confetti. High angle view, confetti. Low angle view, confetti. In between people, confetti. Confetti here, confetti there. Confetti everywhere. Everywhere you turn, there was confetti. Everything is grace to you and me. That's why it says we have access into this grace by faith. Into this grace in which we stand. In other words, everything is grace to you and me. Everywhere we turn, it's grace. You go home, there's grace for that. Go to work, there's grace for that. Fight this fight, there's grace for that. Try to make right things over here, grace for that. Grace for this, grace for when you're tired and you need energy, grace for when you're uh, um, hurting and you need some kind of healing. Grace to walk through physical trials, grace to deal with the emotions that come up. Everywhere you turn, there's grace. High angle, all you see is grace. Low angle, all you see is grace. Listen, everything is grace to the Christian. Everything. Everything. Everything God gives us. It's grace. Help that comes from God. Now some people say in this moment, well, but, but, but what, about, what about discipline? L- let's be clear. There's a difference between discipline and judgment. Yes? There is no longer judgment. Why? Because God has justified us and we have peace with God. Yes and amen to that. We have shalom. Shalom. But but God does discipline us, and even when he disciplines us, this too, this too is grace. Why? Because it shows, according to Hebrews chapter 12, it shows that we are his children, which is grace, and it helps us to share his holiness, which is also grace. So even the times when God takes us out behind the woodshed and says, listen, son, listen, daughter, this is how this is going to go. Okay. Even that moment right there is grace. Because it's proven that, it's your ki- that you are his kid and it's helping you to share his holiness. Even that is grace. Folks, for the Christian, everything is grace. That's why he says, um, through him we've obtained access by faith, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. There is no other realm for the follower of Jesus. There's only grace. And how do we live in that? We live by faith. We live by faith in his promises and we follow his commands as an expression of that faith and this is the way that we live in grace. So the proper response to that at the end of verse 2 through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and the proper response is and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. I mean, if you've got shalom with God, peace with God, and you've got access to grace, what kind of access, what kind of grace? All the grace that you would ever need to do anything and face anything in life. The the proper response is we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the glory that is coming from God. Let's just rejoice in that. If you're a writer in your Bible, you can just put boast. That's the word. The um, the word is boast. In, In other words, we can boast about this glory that is to come. And what I want to uh, just point out here um, it is there is a glory that is to come, right? It, it's not here in its fullness yet. There is a glory that is to come. Uh, has anybody not seen Rogue One and Plans Two? I just want to put that. A couple of you have not seen Plan Two. Okay, so I just I'm not no spoilers here. No spoilers. I mentioned Star Wars a while ago. If you haven't tracked along, uh, Rogue One, the most recent Star Wars release, is basically like episode 3A, right? I mean, like, you got uh, 1, 2, and 3, the originals are 4, 5, and 6, and and Rogue One sandwiches in between 3 and 4, so 3A. Can you imagine sitting, I mean, maybe this is one of you people, uh, you're like... I'm going to watch all of them in chronological order, and I don't know anything about Star Wars. And sitting with some of us Star Wars nerd types, um, and, and we're sitting there, and you, you, you endure Jar Jar Binks in episode one, and um, you, know, you, you get through the uh, Yoda fighting in episode two, which is awesome, uh, and then the darkness that is episode three, and then Rogue One comes along, and you're watching, right, and you're talking, and they're going, wow, this is great. Wow, this is great. Wow, this is great. And all along, those of us who've seen it before... Everything in us wants to say, what? "Oh, you think this is great. Wait until you see what's coming." And I sat with a family last night. Uh, one of the family members is just, just steps away from eternity. Surrounded by kids and grandkids and hilarity and laughter and inside jokes and chicken. They had chicken, lots of chicken. And it was, there was just a joy and a sense of family and love even in the midst of watching the, the final few days unfold. And I'm sitting there And I just think, how great is this? That they're surrounding him and loving him and her and one another. And this is is great for all of the junk that they're walking through and all of the struggle and grief that they're going through. Like, this is great. And the Holy Spirit whispers and goes, you think this is great? You should see what's coming. this is great. You should see what's coming. That's Paul. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's a glory that's coming, folks, that will far outstrip and outweigh anything that this world has to offer. Now, that's the that's the proper response, right? When you have shalom and with God, when you have access to grace, the proper response is yes and amen. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The popular response sounds something like this. Uh, my world and my life doesn't feel like peace or grace or glory at all. In fact, it feels like suffering and trouble. To which I say, that's good honesty. I mean, my life, I hear you, but it doesn't feel like peace and grace and glory. It feels like suffering and trouble and trial. That's what it feels like. So what then am I supposed to do with that? It's a good, honest question. And Paul answers in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice, or we boast... In our sufferings. Now let's just press pause. What? Paul? We rejoice in our sufferings? Yes. Yes. Boasting in our sufferings? Yes. Why? Not because our sufferings are in and of themselves particularly awesome. We're not, because, we're not boasting, we're not rejoicing because of our sufferings at all. We're boasting in our sufferings. We're, boasting, uh, we're rejoicing in the midst of our sufferings, not because of them. So why then would you rejoice? Because what our sufferings remind us of that this world is not our home and indeed if this is so great just wait for what's coming. They remind us that this world is not home and there is a glory to come and furthermore they remind us excuse me we're rejoicing in our suffering because they are neither purposeless nor punishment. A person who lives with this sense that trial is purpose—that uh, has no purpose or is punishment—that's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a huge struggle. But instead, a person who receives this word and lives with this hope, um, their their trials, their troubles, their sufferings—they are not purposeless and they are not punishment. Here's a question, and it's worthwhile to ask: Do you really want transformation in your life? I mean, really want to change? If the answer to that is yes, then what if it took you through some suffering to do that? Would you still want it? Because our sufferings remind us that this world is not home, and because God is going to work something through them, these give us hope. So we have hope, and let's just walk down this chain as as he unfolds it here. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice or we boast in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. That's where he starts. Let's just pause right here and and say this. Uh, If tomorrow there was a a 5K that I wanted to run in, I would die. I just want you to know. i like there would have to be oxygen tanks and probably roller skates, maybe even motorized roller skates for me to get there. Okay, so uh, why is that? Because my endurance is not up to 5k um, ability. That's just not going to happen. If I were going to run a 5k at some point out there in the future, uh, I would need to get on the the internet, do the little couch to 5k thing. Um, You know, day one, get off the couch. Uh, Day two, walk five minutes, run one minute, die, right? Then would uh, Day three, walk five minutes, run two minutes, die again. And you know, you kind of go through this progression, right? And inevitably, what would happen, at least in my world, not in your world, I understand because much of you, you're better than me. Inevitably, in my world, at some point, I would, I would, in the middle of running, go, why in the world am I going through this? What would I call it? Suffering. That's what I would call it. And the answer is because I'm building up my endurance. See, suffering produces Endurance. Suffering produces endurance. Um, Like a runner, um, transformation happens as we stick to it through our troubles, and endurance is a part of that transformation. Let me pause and just parenthetically say this makes absolutely no sense to anybody who's not, who has no peace with God and does not have access to grace. Like this is, if you're still trying to earn your way um, to heaven, this makes no sense to you at all. Why in the world would I go through suffering? How would I rejoice in the middle of this? But if you do, if you are justified, if you, uh, if you are made right with God, if you do have peace with Him, if you do have access to grace, and if you do have a glory that is to come, you can rejoice um, in the middle of your sufferings. And then he continues on in verse 4. And endurance produces character. I remember my grandfather sitting on the front porch, one of many times that he was doing this. He had his little pocket knife out, had a stick that he found, bored out of his head, I don't know what he was doing. He was just sitting there whittling. What are you doing, Grandpa? Whittling? What you making? Oh, I don't know either. That's why I asked. He's just whittling, right? And how, how did that stick take shape into whatever it was going to be? Little by little. When you take a, a block of wood and, and you're going to sand it down to make something, um, you know, you've, you've got it kind of in the shape that you want, but you have to, you have to put some uh, finery on it, right? I mean, you got to make it really useful. You take sandpaper. How does sandpaper work? Little by little, right? Little by little is how the rough becomes smooth. Uh, Some of you are runners in here. If we had um, some sort of contest uh, that would say, hey, who's a runner in here? We could probably tell, and all we would do is just kind of look at the shape that you're in, right? Like, runner's legs are in a definite shape that mine are not. Some of yours are not either. Okay, I get that. Uh, They have a definite shape. I'll give you another example. Um, uh, those Those who swim... They're about five feet across in the shoulders, and about six inches at the waist, right? I mean, they go from here to here. Like, you look at those guys at the Olympics who swim, they're like, ooh, right? How how did you know that they're a swimmer? How would you look at them and say they're a swimmer? Because of their shape. How did they get their shape? And the answer is their endurance, The runners run, and that's why their legs look like their legs do. The swimmers swim over and over and over again, and that's why their body looks like that. The endurance has produced the shape. When we talk about, Paul says this, endurance produces character. That's what we're talking about. There's a shape to us. A... A little bit at a time, yes, but there is a shape that is produced by endurance. And let me just say something in particular um, to some folks in here who have more miles on their tires than not. Spiritually speaking, the older you get, the more you're in your prime. The more shape that is given as you endure. Why? Because older people endure with joy what younger people fear. So if you as an older person in here think, I'm not so sure I've got a lot to offer. Spiritually speaking, you're, you're the Michael Phelps that we all need to be looking at. You're the person who's setting the standard for, for many of us to follow. So don't check out on me. Don't check out. The church needs you. They need your. We need your voice. Lastly, he says at the end of verse 4, And character produces hope. Character produces hope. Character is evidence that one has genuinely be changed by been changed by God. So as our character is formed, as God transforms us, what that produces in us is this evidence that, hey, indeed, God has been at work and he is at work and he promises to continue to be at work. So what does that give me? That gives me hope. Meaning if you're stuck in a particular sin, but God has shaped you in other areas of your life, you know what you can believe God for? You know what you can put your hope in God for? That he will change that area of your life too. If you're struggling with a particular um, issue or a particular faith thing or whatever. If God has done some things in another portion of your life, you can believe that God will do some stuff in that particular portion of your life. The fact that he has shaped your character brings us to hope. That's what he does. And if he's worked um, this much now while you're on the earth, what's it going to be like when he brings glory? Character produces hope. Some people say, well now hold on a minute. I know some people who've gone through some tough stuff, and they have not gotten better. They've gotten bitter, right? Why, why is that? My pastoral answer is this, because they didn't sync their hearts up. They did not get in sync in attitude-wise with God. Um, they were out of sync, and it sounded something maybe like this, I'm, I'm, I'm entitled to an easy life. Don't you think I, don't you think I deserve the good life? Their attitude was out of sync and maybe it sounded something like this. This question, haven't I endured enough already? Haven't I gone through enough already? Out of sync with God sometimes sounds like this. This trial that I'm going through means that God really doesn't love me or even like me. They take trials as as a sign of God's disapproval over their lives. Or they're out of sync with God Uh, because they're not actually justified before God through Jesus. They don't really understand the gospel and have not received Him. Character produces hope. If God has worked this far and He's promised to work more, I can count that He's going to do that. And then He says at the end of verse 5, and hope hope does not put us to shame. Again, if you're a Bible writer, you can write out there, hope does not humiliate us because that's a good translation. Hope doesn't humiliate us. You're hoping in something and it doesn't come true. Oh, uh, that, that's not what he's, Paul saying there's no way that's going to happen. Hope does not put us to shame or humiliate us. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Hope doesn't humiliate us because God has given us his love. And he hasn't just given us his love a little bit. What does it say? Has been poured out. God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I had a water balloon fight at our house yesterday. Dry. Just needed to go ahead and clarify that. Stay dry. Um, more than once, little bitty water balloons, you know, they don't pop or whatever. Uh, and, you know, you one of them had a little hole in it, and you know, pew, you know, out comes pew, a little bit of thing, and they run around chasing with the pew. Little stream um, going out like that. Uh, uh, s- some of you think that's how God's love towards you is—just a little bit pinprick of a hole. <laughs> At the end of the water balloon fight, we had neighbors' kids over. Yard's a mess. Don't care. You know, you fill up the water balloons and you put them in some sort of. Thing uh, like we had water in a, in a big um, Tupperware, huge Tupperware thing. Had water to you know support all the water balloons and stuff. <clears throat> One of our kids, who shall remain nameless, um, turned his back, and so I said to our neighbor, "Grab the other end of that." We pick it up. <laughs> Winner. I just said winner. And I give you that as a picture to say and hope does not humiliate us. Why? Because the love of God is not little pinprick splatter on us. It's been dumped on us. Poured out on us through the Holy Spirit that He gave to us. See, if God's love wasn't true, we have no hope, but it is true. And look, we'll pick this verse up in a couple of weeks. Just skip down a couple, though. We'll pick it up for now. Verse 8 But God shows, present tense right now, his love for us, in that, well, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Peace with God that comes through faith in Jesus, grace from God that comes through faith in Jesus, and hope even in the midst of trial that comes through faith in Jesus. That's what it means uh, to live rightly with God. I'm going to pray and we'll ask for uh, the guys to come back up and lead us and um, we'll have some time to respond, okay?